Okay. Parshat Bo. Um, I have a close friend whose mother passed away uh, this week. Uh, they brought the body here for Kavura, uh, Vaya, Shiva, and uh, her mother was a Holocaust survivor. And a few of us were just talking about what it means for someone to survive, you know, the camps and everything else. Uh, they were supermen. I mean, they were just superhuman, these people. I don't know how they did what they did. So I want to dedicate this year in her memory. Um, Liba Kayla Bat Nachum. Should be any Louis for her And uh, as always, since this started, uh, this year should be in the merit that Shem uh, should bless us soon. That the hostages come home. A lot of other things to dive for. Chayalim and Nifkeim. But let's, at least that the hostages should come home soon. For all the right reasons and in all the right ways. So... Rav Lachan Wasserman. Rav Lachan Wasserman was a Talmud Chaver of the Chofetz Chaim. He was younger than the Chofetz Chaim. And he became very close. The Chofetz Chaim was one of his Rebbe Muvaks, but he was also, they were close together. It wasn't just a standard Rebbe Talmud relationship. Just as an example, Rav Lachan sent all of his kids to learn for smicha with the Chofetz Chaim, for the rabbinate. And the Chofetz Chaim sent all of his grandchildren to learn for smicha with Rav Lachan. Rav Khan had a yeshiva in Baranovich, which was a suburb right outside of Kovno. Um, and he ended up in the Kovno ghetto. He was actually in America before the war in 1938. People already understood what was coming. And they begged him to stay in America. And his response, which has become famous, was, how can I stay here if my flock is there? So he went, can somebody hit those windows? Just for the noise, thanks. Um, so, I, I, so he went back into the jaws of the beast knowing exactly what he was going to. And he was in Kovno. Um, Kovno for a while was the place to go because you know, Lithuania was a free country and it wasn't uh, you know, threatened by the Nazis. And I'm not going to do a history lesson here, but uh, very quickly night, day turned into night. And they found themselves in the ghetto in Kovno. And the first thing that the Nazis did whenever they came to wherever it was, right? They had, a, they had a commando unit that would head in first, and they would go with a hammer, nails, and notices. And they would post notices up. And the first day was forbidden to celebrate Shabbos. The second day was forbidden, and eventually it was forbidden to congregate three people or more, forbidden to learn Torah. All this stuff was forbidden. And forbidden didn't mean you got a parking ticket. Forbidden meant they took you outside and they shot you. So, by the way, halachically, it may well be that you're not obligated to learn Torah in public if, if you're going to get killed. That's an interesting discussion. It's a shat shmad or not. But there's some people, this is a famous Gemara of the Akiva, learning Torah is like oxygen. It's like telling me not to breathe. It's like telling me to write the boy not to smile. It's not possible. So he had an underground shear. And he was in the middle of Masechta Nida. Now, I don't know if they were just learning the Masechta or why they were learning the Masechta, but that happens to be the last Masechta in Shas. It was almost like Hashem said, the world has not earned another completion of Shas of Rav It's not clear what happened. Nazis burst in. They didn't take their hats quickly enough off. They didn't jump up. They were caught learning Torah. And they basically hauled them off to the Ninth Fortress. And on their way to what they understood would be their deaths, um, death would have been merciful next to what they experienced. They tortured them for three days before they murdered them. He was overheard speaking to one of his students. And he said, you know, we have to be very careful. There's a lot of pigul. Pigul means that if a Kohen is offering up a sacrifice in the temple, and he does everything right, 
you know, he's supposed to be offering up a chatas and not an ola. An ola is a whole burnt offering. Chatas, you don't burn an ola. Some of it is eaten by the konim. And he thinks he's offering up an ola. But really it's a chatas. But he actually does everything right. He doesn't burn it all. Or he does burn it and it's an ola and he thinks it's a chatas. The whole sacrifice is invalid. Because if the Kohen doesn't have the right intent, sacrifice is worthless. Now that's a powerful halacha in and of itself. What's amazing about the halacha is the only way you can keep that mitzvah is if the Kohen admits that he was thinking the wrong thing. Right? Because he's the only one who knows. So the Torah assumes that a Kohen, if he's having the wrong intention, is going to say so. And that means that the person who brought this carbon now has to go get another one. Because the Kohen doesn't pay for it. So that's a very serious mitzvah. So Vachanan says, we have, to, we have an opportunity to fulfill the mitzvah of people. Because we are going to be the sacrifice. He understood exactly what was coming. Let us be sure to have the proper intent for this sacrifice. L'shem shamayim. For the sake of heaven. Who thinks like that? Who's on a level to have that kind of thought in that kind of moment? Now why do I tell you this story? Because there is a fascinating topic that comes up in this week's Parsha. Everybody knows there's a famous story, right? Bo el paro. Right? That's the Pasuk says. Bo el paro ki ani yichbarti et libo v'et leiv avadav l'man shiti ototai lebekirbo l'man tesoper bosnei bincha o ben bincha. Come to paro. In order that I can bring these miracles, I'm going to show them what's going to be. And your children and your children's children, we're going to be talking about this thousands of years hence. We, here, now, are a fulfillment of this Pasuk. So everybody says, what's the famous question on this Pasuk? Boel Paro, somebody? Why not? Yeah? Why does it say, come to Paro, not go to Paro? Right, why does it say, go to Paro? That's what everybody asks. Lech Lecha, go to Israel. Right? Lech Lecha, Leretz HaMoriah, go to the Arcade of the Bible. Why is it Boel Paro? It's almost like Hashem is with power, and He says, come, come, come. Now, by the way, why is this not a question? Yeah, so the question is, why do you say lech? What's the difference, bo or lech? Hashem is everywhere. So the only reason we ask the question of bo, why is it come to paro, is because we're used to lech. But we could have been used to bo, and then the question would be lech. What's that question? Whoa. And why does this language appear here? This week's question. Okay. But of course, this raises a bigger question, which is a question we've been struggling with now for a couple of weeks. Who needs paro? Why do we need paro? What's paro for? Hashem <coughs> wants to take us out of Egypt. So take us out of Egypt. Who's this? Oh, this is the Jewish people. Where are the Jewish people right now? They're in Mitzrayim. There's no Rambam here. They're in Mitzrayim, right? Hashem wants to get them to Israel. Put them in Israel. What do we need? The plagues and the sea and the Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Go tell Paro to let my... What do you mean go tell Paro to let my people go? What do you tell Paro at all? Like, I'm going to let the people go. And by the way, what does this make it sound like? There's Paro. Paro's want to let the people go. Hashem says, oh, I'm going to show him who's boss. You go tell Paro, my people are getting out. Do you understand how ridiculous this is? 
Imagine if you come in one day and you're sort of interviewing for the Yeshiva Torah back in the day, and I want to tell you I'm a serious guy. I say, watch this. See his pinky? Got nothing on me. Watch this. I'm going to break this pinky down. You look at me like I'm out of my mind. Who, what does it mean, me and pa- Hashem created Paro. Hashem created the Egyptians. The, the Egyptians fulfilled the will of Hashem, just like Moshe fulfills. Like we all fulfill the will of Hashem. What does that mean? That Paro has to let the people go. And then there's a third question. And this question fascinates me. So what does Hashem say to Paro? Anybody? What does Hashem say to Paro? He says, what does Hashem say to Moshe? Moshe has to go tell Paro what? The Yavduni. Very good. Shana Bet, right? Just in case anybody thinks I don't make Shana Bet jokes in front of the parents, no. Or equal opportunity Shana Bet jokes. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> then you could stay. Okay. Right? What is Shlachet Ami Viavduni? Let the people go that they may. What do you mean? I need a reason to send the people out of Egypt? Now, what is this referring to? This let my people go that they may serve me. So this actually comes up way back at the Sneh. If you look at the burning bush, right? Moshe's in the desert, he sees a bush, the bush is burning, um, it doesn't get consumed. Deep idea, the Jewish people, you will not be consumed, this is the future of the world, there's a lot going on there. But at the burning bush, Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, right, the following, now go. Now Moshe and God argue for a week at the burning bush. And that's a subject for another discussion, maybe over Shabbos. We can talk about that if you want. Go, and I will send you to Paro. Right? That, by the way, is a very strange line. It should say, I'm sending you to Paro. Go. Torah doesn't make these mistakes. So first Moshe has to decide to go. And if you go, if you're willing to go, I'm going to send you to Paro. Okay. And take my people out of Egypt. So the obvious question, why do you have to go to Paro? Take my people out of Egypt. So Moshe says to God, two things. Ask him two questions. Who am I that I should go to Paro? And, and, and how am I going to get the Jewish people out of Egypt? So the Mepharshim seem to say there are two questions here. One question is, who am I? And the other question is, how do you get the people out? So, that's a strange, serious question. So Rashi says, what does this mean? What do you mean, who am I? Shem says, you're Moshe. Right? So Rashi says, what is this about? Right? And, and what does Hashem answer? Right? So Hashem answers two things. He says, um, because I will be with you. I'll give you a sign when you get the people out of Egypt. You will serve God on this mountain. So this is very strange back and forth. What are the questions that Moshe is asking? And what are the answers that God is giving? So Rashi, Rashi adds something that is not in Pshat. It, it, it's really not in the words of, of the of the parsha. Don't worry, I made a bracha before I'm from. Right? Rashi says, "What's this talking about?" Listen to this, Rashi. Ma ani chashuv? 
לדבר עם המלאכים. משה זה האולטימט הומבל פרסון, ענב, ואיש משה ענב מאוד, לא קם כנביאות בישראל, הוא היה ענב, כל כך הומבל. אז משה זה, הוא אמי? I'm not worthy to take the Jewish people out of Egypt. Why, why are you asking me to do this? I don't feel like I'm worthy. And then he adds, And even if I am worthy, right? Right? Who says the Jewish people are worthy? What makes them worthy? I remember I was... In, now, by the way, this is a fascinating question. Moshe has been away from Egypt ostensibly for 40 years. A long time. So he's talking about the Jewish people that he remembers. The Jewish people that he remembers, they don't seem to be worthy to get out of Egypt. Well, why would Moshe say something like that, according to Rashi? Because what's the last experience that Moshe has with the Jewish people in Egypt? Right? One day he goes out and he sees an Egyptian trying to kill a Jew, and he kills the Egyptian. Next day he comes out and the Jews are fighting amongst themselves. And not only Jews fighting amongst themselves, right? But one of them says to the other, right? Vayar shnei vrim nitzim, they're fighting. Mi samcha, who puts you over us? So Rashi, quotes the message, says, this Jew, the one who's saying that, is the same guy that he saved yesterday. So they're ungrateful. They're fighting with each other. Jews fight with each other. They don't deserve to be redeemed. The merit of redemption comes to the Jewish people when we come together through achdut. which is exactly what we're experiencing now. And it may well be that Moshe leaves Mitzrayim because he realizes the Jewish people aren't worthy. So that's what he's asking. Okay. The Rajbam, the grandson of, of Rashi, right? The Rajbam has a very difficult, a very different take on this, right? The Rajbam asks an interesting question. How could it be Vizelech Ha'ot? And this is the sign that you are worthy, that the Jewish people are worthy, because I'm going to take you out of Mitzrayim, and you will worship God on this mountain. Chazal tell us that the mountain that they're on in the desert is Harsinai. It's Chorev. It's the same mountain, on this mountain, right where the burning bush is. That's a whole interesting discussion of what those things are connected. But that's the sign that they will... So what kind of a sign is that? Moshe needs to know now why they're worthy. What kind of a sign is it? Because one day... Give me a sign that this is the right yeshiva for me. Oh, because one day, when you get married, your kids are going to learn Gemara. That's not a sign that the yeshiva is right for me. That's a promise that something will happen. What, what does that mean? Right? How does that... Right? So supposedly what makes the Jewish people worthy is what comes next, Matan Torah. How does Matan Torah make you worthy for something now? So the Rajbam says, no. This is a practical question. And this practical question is very simple, right? How or why will Paro let us go? Now, in order to keep this within a reasonable time framework, we're not going to read the Rajbam inside, although I highly encourage you to do it. It's, a, it's worth the read. The Rajbam suggests something that you kind of think about in passing, but because of all the big issues in Tzitzit Shrein, we don't think about this. What's, what's, what's power solution? Moshe Rabbeinu asks God, how am I going to get out of Egypt? What does God answer Moshe? He says, we're going to trick him. We're not going to tell him that we're getting out of Egypt. 
He's not going to let you go. He's going to think you're out of your mind. Right? Well, tell him that you just want to go serve God on this mountain. Trick him. Pretend that it's just for three days. And in fact, when Moshe Rabbeinu gets down there and he talks to Paro, Perakei Pasuk Gimel, what does he say? Right? Vayomru Elohei Nikra Aleinu. Right? So they say, Moshe Aaron, they say to Paro, God came to us and said to us, We just want to go for three days. We need a three-day vacation. You know, it's tough. We've been working 200 years. We haven't had a day off. Give us three days. We need to meditate. We need to serve God. Our idol, right? Because, and, and God wants us to serve Him. We haven't been able to serve Him for a while. If we don't serve God, then we're going to get, we're going to get punished. We're going to get punished by a pestilence or, 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 or the sword. We're going to get cut down. And you know, when Dever, when the wild animals come, or the plague comes, or Makar Pechorot comes, it's not going to distinguish. This is going to, this is going to kill a lot of Egyptians. So just let us go on a three-day vacation. So, so God tells Moshe to lie? They have to trick Paro? Why do they have to trick Paro? Why doesn't Hashem just take them out? And I'll tell you something interesting, right? If you look carefully at this, right? All of the plagues, right? Each plague starts this way. Every single plague. Send my people that they may serve me. Moshe Rabin never says, we're just leaving. He's just, we're going out for a few days. Which is clearly not true. Why does he do this? All these plagues are a negotiation for a three-day vacation. Why do we have to play this game? Right? And I'll give you an interesting example of how much the Rajbam makes sense when you look at Pshat. But if you look carefully at the Pesukim, I'll give you an example. Um, in Perak Chet, Pesuk This is after uh, Makat Arov. Okay? Vayomer Moshe, right? So, so... All the wild animals come and, and everybody's getting killed. So Paro calls Moshe, right? This is the, this is the, what is it, fourth, fifth plague, right? Right? It's the fourth plague, right? And Paro calls Moshe. Fine, I'm going to give in. You go serve your God. But do it in Mitzrayim. You know, you can go to Central Park. You can do it there. So what does Moshe Rabbeinu say? Everybody thinks right away, oh, bizkeinenu, vinarenu, no, that's later. What does Moshe say? Moshe, This is not a good idea. If we serve our God in Mitzrayim, ki to'avat Mitzrayim, nizbach l'ashem Our sacrifices... Offering up a calf is a, is a disgustingness to the Egyptians. And there are other verses where that appears. They won't eat with Yosef and his brothers and so on and so forth. If, if we do this in front of all your people, they'll, they'll, they'll slaughter us. Right? If, 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 if a Jew walked into Aza six months ago with an Israeli flag, he wasn't coming home. They hate us. <clears throat> what sort of a dialogue is this? What happened to Shlachatami and Zeo? 
Hashem is bringing plagues. Let us out. What, what's this Vayav Duni? And Moshe insists, Derech Shloshet Yamim Nelech Bamidbar. We're going to walk for three days in the desert. That's in Perakhet, Pasuk of Gimel. No, no, no. We, I, I'm telling you, it's, it's four plagues now. You've got to let us take a three-day vacation. The teachers' union is not settling for anything less. And you know what Paro says? This is amazing. I'm going to send you. I realize you're right. Just don't go, don't go too far. All right, we'll give you three days. But please don't go too far. Stay in the area. Ha'atiu va'adi. Davin for me a little. I need a little schus. This is not going well. And then, of course, he changes his mind again. Now, why does Paro all of a sudden say, maybe I need to give in? Because back in Parakei, Moshe says, if you don't let us do this, Hashem's going to bring plagues. He's going to start killing Egyptians. Well, now he's at Arof, he's at Dever. It's exactly what's happening. So what is this whole game plan? Why is, why is Moshe playing this game? And in fact, Moshe is not the one who's playing this game. Who's playing this game? God's playing this game. Why is God playing this game? Right? By the way, when does the full implication of Dever v'cherev, that if Hashem doesn't, you know, if, we're, if we don't go out, then Hashem is going to visit these plagues and people are going to die, this is Makat Pechorot. And if you look in Makat Pechorot, in Perak Yudbet, right? What does it say in next week's, uh, sorry, no, in this week's pleasure. In, in, in Perak Yudbet, Pasuk, Lam and Aleph, right? Hashem Kedaberchem. In the middle of the night, Makat Pechorot, the firstborn Egyptians are dying. And Paro suddenly realizes, they were right. We're getting killed. Go and serve your God as you spoke. Gam tzonchem, gam karchem, everything you wanted. Uverachtem leichu, uverachtem gamoti. Just bless me too. Like your God is powerful, more powerful than I thought. You're right. Go serve your God, then you'll come back. And the Egyptians now want to send the Jews out. They said, we're all going to die. Because they know exactly what Moshe said back in Parakeh. This is what's going on now. All of Egypt wants them to go Davin. Because only if the Jews Davin pray to their God, perhaps the plague will end and we'll be saved. And that's why, by the way, if you look in Parshat B'Shalach, in next week's Parshat, because this is all one story, in Parak Yudalid, Pasuk, hey, right, the Jews leave. He sends spies with them to see what's going on. Three days they're in the desert, and then they keep going. This is a pasuk. This is not like a sfazemes. This is Marosh and Torah. Paro is told, I guess by these spies, that the people have run away. He's like, okay, forget this. What did we do? And that's why Kriyas Yamsuf happens. Because they suddenly realize they've been tricked. How am I going to get the Jews out of Egypt? Trick him. What kind of a plan is that? And the Rajbam points out, the Rajbam says, this is actually what you call derech This is uh, strategic thinking. 
You're not supposed to rely on a Kosh Baruch completely. Even a Kosh Baruch was telling you not to rely on a Kosh Baruch. Right? You have to be smart. You have to be wise. You have to be balanced. And we see this many places. I'll give you one example where you see this. This is a great example. Okay? For those of you who are studying Tanakh, you know, I know some of you are doing Tanakh Bein. If you look at Shmuel Perakal, right? So who's the first king of the Jewish people? Shaul. Things do not go well with Shaul. He has a Ruach Ra, he gets depressed, he gets upset, things are going bad, you know. So Hashem says, he defies Hashem with Amalek, whatever's going on. So Hashem says, I'm done with him. We're going to have another king. And Shmuel and Navi, you're going to go anoint the king. What's that king's name going to be? David Amalek. And it's not so smooth. He goes to Yishai's house. It's a whole story. Okay. Now, you're a Navi. And God tells you to go anoint the king. You go anoint the king. What's the problem here? Anybody know? Nope. That happens later. What's the problem? Shaul's a king. And you're going to anoint another king. That's called Murid Bamalchus. That's rebelling against the king. What happens if somebody rebels against the king? He dies. Except this is a Navi, right? So this shouldn't be a problem. But Shmuel HaNavi. Emphasis word Navi. Right? Vayom Hashem HaShemuel is a Tarek Zayin, Shmuel Aleph. Ad Mataya Tamit Abel Al Shaul. How long are you going to be upset for Shaul? Vani Mastiv Mimlocha Yisrael. I'm tired of him. I'm done with him. Ruling Jewish people. Fill your horn up with oil because you anoint a king with oil because oil is not the light. Oil is the vehicle of light. You're only supposed to be a vehicle for light. Don't think you're the light, okay? You're going to go to Yishai's house because one of his sons is going to be king. How could I go? Shaul's going to hear, but he's going to kill me. What do you mean he's going to kill you? You're a Navi. Hashem said, go, you go. F.E.A. Tam was a commander in Sayyid Matkal. I told you the story. And he's in the Golan Heights. He's been sent out to see what's going on. It's the morning of October 6, 1973. And things are bad. And he gets into position, looks through his binoculars. He can't believe his eyes. There's 400 tanks coming his way. And he's one jeep with a, a five-man unit and one anti-tank weapon. He doesn't know what to do. You've got to be out of your mind. You should run. But there's 400 tanks. And there's nothing between you and the belly of Israel. And you have an anti-tank weapon. You're going to just run? Not if you're in Sayyid Matkal. So what do you feel like? Hineni. This is a moment where you say, for this moment, Hashem chose me. Hashem is putting me in this position. Hashem has asked me to do this. That's what I'm going to do. And that's what they do. And it's a longer story that we spoke about once. But he basically stopped the entire advance of the Syrian army corps up in the Golan. And he's not a Navi. You're small a Navi. Kodesh Baruch says, anoint the king. Go anoint the king. What do you mean I'm going to get killed? You know what the most unbelievable part of the story is? <laughs> what is Hashem answering? What, what should Hashem say? I am the Lord your God. Go. No, that's not what Hashem says. This is what Hashem says. Vayomer Hashem eglat bakar tikach v'yadecha. Take a calf. And tell them you're coming to give a sacrifice. Show who's better. You're going to give us a ah, the old sacrifice trick. The karatali yishai bazavach. And then tell them you're going to call yishai. Let's have a carbon festival. He comes up with this. What kind of nonsense is this? So the Rashbam, this is a longer discussion, but the Rashbam says this is takbulot. This is derechachma. You're not supposed to rely 
on miracles. Geulah is not supposed to be based on the miraculous. And as long as it is based on the miraculous, it will be lacking. When does Yitzhak Mitzrayim end? What's the last point of Yitzhak Mitzrayim? So you could say Yitzhak Mitzrayim ends when Moshe comes down. Right? But that's not true because they're still in Egypt for a year. You could say Makat Bechorot. But that's not true because they're still in Egypt. It's the middle of the night. What do we celebrate in the middle of the night? We have a Korban Pesach, right? We, we celebrate the Seder. They're still in Egypt. So you could say, well, they get out of Egypt the next day. Yitzhak Mitzrayim is on what day of Nisan? Anybody remember? 15th of Nisan. 14th is Erev Pesach. 15th is Pesach. But wait a second. Pesach is how many days? Why is Pesach seven days? This, right, July 4th is one day. There's some Americans who would love it to be a week, but it's one day. Right? Why do we have seven days of Pesach? No. Because what happens later? Yamsuf. They already got out of Egypt, but they haven't gotten out of Egypt. So they only get out of Egypt... When the sea splits, right? Right? No. Because after the sea splits, they still have a whole bunch of stories. The water is too bitter. The water is not sweet. Amalek comes along. Hayesha Hashem Bekirbeinu Amayin. Is God in our midst? Like, what's going on here? Vayavo Amalek. They're terrified. Right? We told you, said the Jewish people to Moshe, that we shouldn't leave Egypt. They want to turn around and go back to Egypt. Tzias Mitzrayim hasn't happened yet. It's not done yet. Until the Jewish people get in a valley and they fight Amalek. Because it's not just about getting the Jews out of Egypt, it's about getting Egypt out of the Jews. So Moshe Rabbeinu starts this pattern. It can't all be a Baruch because then there's no meaning to our being here. The fact that we're fighting a war right now is an illusion. Hashem Gibor, Hashem Yishmil Chama, Hashem is fighting this war. But we have to do our bit because it's good for us to be partners of Akash Baruch That's one way of looking at it. But I want to add one more thing, right? Because our Sinai was not a trick. Har Sinai is where they're going. And they get the Torah at Har Sinai. And you could make a case for saying that we get out of Egypt in order to get to Har Sinai. Now, it's true, it's not three days, it's 49 days, but all right, right? But they haven't reached the goal yet. Har Sinai is not the goal. The goal is Am Yisrael, Al Pitorat Yisrael, Be'eret Yisrael. Right? The Jewish people, with the Torah, getting to Eretz Yisrael. And until we get to Eretz Yisrael, we have not achieved our goal. Because the goal is not just about the Jewish people. The goal is that we have to be a role model for the world. Right? In fact, the Zohar says... Yisrael, the Ramchal is the one who quotes this. Yisrael, right? Kuchabrichu ve Oraita. Chadu. What is Oraita? Oraita is Torah. The Jewish people and the Kodesh Baruch Hu with Torah are one. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu comes down with two luchot. Why do you have two luchot? Why don't you just make one luch? Why do we need two luchot? So Chazal tell us that the Luchot were the Ketubah. They were the marriage document between us and the Jewish people. And they're two Luchot because it represents the partnership we have with the Karsh Baruch That's when it becomes real. But if B'nai Yisrael are, 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 are taken out, 
all by force. We're missing something. You know who Moshe Rabbeinu has to trick? He has to trick the Jewish people. The Jewish people are as much of a problem, in fact, they're a bigger problem than Paro. And they're not wrong. Somebody comes along, let's say this is true, this is a Derech Chachma, we're almost done. Let's say it's Derech Chachma. And you have to use strategic thinking. And we're not supposed to rely on a Kosh Baruch Sometimes you look at situations in the world, and they're so crazy, you understand that Hashem is stirring the pot. This, this is not normal. Right? The, the state of Israel is being charged with genocide. And who's charging us? The United Nations, Sudan. Can you think about that for a minute? Sudan, Iran, <laughs> Venezuela. They're judging us. They're accusing us of... Ge- is that nuts? That is so ridiculous. It's such a theater of the absurd. Akash Barucho has to be stirring the pot. Okay? And you don't have to come to the United Nations. Just look at what's going on in America. They're going to have an election in, on November 4th. Right? And I don't want to get into politics here. But Baruch Hashem, this is an equal opportunity theater of the absurd. It looks like, according to the polls, that two people are going to run. Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Okay? I mean, you know, they're, they're giving... I think on election day, they should give out free canes. Everybody gets a cane. I mean, it's crazy. It's Yeah, it's talk, right? And you look at this story, and, you know, if you would have told me 10 years ago, Donald Trump would be president of the United States. I'm not commenting, because I, I think a karasato of gratitude is a really, really important midah. And just like I think we should have gratitude to President Biden that he sent a carrier force to the Middle East, that he's standing by Israel in many ways, I don't think his politics are perfect. I think he's made a lot of mistakes. Taking the Houthis off the terrorist-designated list a month after he became president was not the wisest thing. I think he's now realized that. He's put them back on. But you've got to give him credit. Like, he's standing by Israel. Donald Trump, Donald Trump recognized the Golan, moved the embassy to Yerushalayim. I mean, they both have credit. But if you would have told me 10 years ago that Donald Trump would be president, I mean, it's crazy. And then you think you're done. He's running again. And he won 51% of the caucus in Iowa. And the polls are predicting he's going to be the next president of the United States. That's Meshuggah. It's not Meshuggah because I agree or disagree with him. It's just because you look at this recipe. Let's see if we can get a president who's indicted for five different things. Let's see what happens. It's crazy. <laughs> and I'm not talking about whether conspiracy is true or not. I'm not, I'm not commenting on the power. Akash Baruch knows the truth. Not us. <laughs> but it's like there's something going on here. You have to be practical. You have to look at the world and ask yourself, what should we be doing? It's a legitimate question. So if you're a Jew and you're in Mitzrayim, and Moshe Rabbeinu comes down, even if he's a holy soul and he's unbelievable. He says, we're getting out. Now, if you're a mildly intelligent person, you know, you've been planning, you did all your college applications, you got into Cairo University, right? So he said, where are we going? We're going to the land of Israel. Really? Yeah, we're all going to go. How are we going to get there? We're going to walk. Okay. Uh, how are we going to eat? Oh, I got this covered, don't worry. Well, what are we going to do when you get there? God's going to take us in. Really? There's seven Canaanite nations. They have Arim B'tzurot. They're fortified. You know, you read the Pesukim in, in Sefer Yeshua. You've got to be out of your mind. And, and how are the Egyptians going to let us go? So if you were speaking practically, you'd have to say, this is nuts. 
And by the way, the Jewish people, and you understand them, they keep telling Moshe Rabbeinu this is nuts. We should go back to Egypt. We remember the food, life was simpler. We remember the food, they enslaved you. Yeah, but we had a... I met a survivor who had so much anger. He came, I was in a Pesach program, and I didn't see him. And the last day of Pesach, he showed up in Shul because it was Yisker. And he wanted to come and say Yisker, he wanted to say Kash, whatever. And he asked me something and I hadn't met him. I said, oh, I've met you. He goes, no, I, I, I don't come. I'm not here for the synagogue. I don't come all week. But Yisker, I come out of respect for my family that was lost. Right? So I said, oh, you know, do you want to say Kaddish? Do you want whatever? Anyway, it turned out that he wanted to say Kaddish for his mother. He didn't want to say Kaddish for his father. Can I say Kaddish and only have in mind my mother and not my father? That's what he says to me. Thinking like, what could bring that up? That's a new one. So I said, look, you can say Kaddish. Kosh will decide who it's for. You can have intent. Like, yeah, okay. So obviously, somebody says something like that to you. You're going to go over to him. There's got to be a story here. Turns out that this, this fellow, he was like, I don't know, a young man, 18, 20. And he had a friend who worked in a laundry. And the laundry was outside the ghetto, and they washed and cleaned the uniforms for the Nazi officers. And he said to him, I can get you out. Because we wheel the stuff out, and we put it in, in trucks, and I can hide you under the laundry. And he says, well, could you get my family out? My parents, my two sisters. He says, yeah, I can get you all out. It'll be separate trucks. We, yeah, not a problem. They don't check it. So he goes back to his parents. He says, we've got to get out of the ghetto. We're in the Warsaw Ghetto. Things are terrible here. His father refuses to go. His father says, where are you going to go? Okay, you're going to get out. Then what? He says, what do you mean, then what? We'll go to the forest. You go to the forest in Poland in the winter? I mean, did anybody see these movies? You've got to be out of your mind. They'll kill it. it. They didn't imagine in their wildest dreams what was coming. So his father forbade them to go. He said, it's a death sentence and you shouldn't go. And he understood he had to get out, so he got out. And his father and his mother and his two sisters were murdered. And he could never forgive his father. You can imagine, that's a long conversation. And I remember thinking about this afterwards. His father wasn't wrong. His father was being intelligent. The fact that this person saw something his father didn't see doesn't make his father wrong. You gotta be out of your mind to go into the forest with two little girls. And you got to be out of your mind to go through the desert. Anybody ever spend time in the desert? I spent time in the Sinai Desert. How are you going to handle two million people in the desert? So Moshe Rabbeinu, at the behest of God, says, you're going to trick them. You're going to tell them we're going for a three-day vacation to worship Hashem. They're going to daven, and for once, they're going to wake up in the morning, they're not going to be enslaved that day, or the next, it be unbelievable. And so the Jewish people go with him in the desert. Never mind that Paro has no idea they're leaving. Who says the Jewish people had any idea they're leaving? It's an unbelievable thought. So why does this have to happen? Why do the Jewish people need to get tricked? Because you're not ready to let go of Egypt until you're out of Egypt. There's a concept in halacha. When you carry, it's a, it's a, it's a malachi. You're not allowed to carry on Shabbat. But there are actually two parts of the process of carrying. There's what's called a kira, and what's called hanacham. A kira is you pick something up. So I pick something up in the private domain, and I walk outside and come back in. I, I have not carried biblically. 
In order to carry something biblically, they have to take it up from one place and put it down, hanacha on the other. You have to have a kira, you have to have a nacha. Right? First we have to get up and leave Egypt, and then we eventually have to land in Israel. And that's Yitzhak Mitzrayim. But you're not ready to go to Israel until you get out of Egypt. And I would argue that this is true for our reality today. And I'll finish with this. And just to be clear, I think it's very dangerous when people, from their perspective, start to judge other people. I don't think that's healthy. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes pe- people tend, it's easy to get a little arrogant, you know, we here in Israel, we're fighting the wars, whatever it is. I don't know, why did I merit to have parents who are very Zionistic? Why did I merit to have a Rav who's very Zionistic? Why did I merit to end up going to the Gush to meet boys who fought in the UK? There are a lot of different things that influence you. I don't know. Not everybody grows up in Israel. Not everybody has those opportunities. So we all have different mindsets, right? But it seems to me that a significant portion of the Western Jew, and I'm not even talking about the world, is immersed in a philosophy that's really frightening. You look at what's going on on college campuses today. It's frightening. You know, what do they call it? Um, uh, um, DEI, Divestment, Equity, and Inclusion. Right? We're white colonialists. And this sounds silly to us, but there's a whole world out there in Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Columbia that believe in this philosophy. And as long as you're immersed in that philosophy, you're in Egypt. And and you, you have to get out of that world to be able to receive another world. And that's exactly what Yitzhak Mitzrayim is about. Step out of the narrowness of a perspective that needs to be left behind. Mordechai and Alevitz, right? Mordechai and Alevitz, uh, was one of the commanders of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. He was murdered by the Nazis. They blew up Mila 18, the bunker on top of him. Those of you who go to Poland will visit that site. It's pretty powerful. But um, he had a diary. And his diary survived. You can actually see this diary. It's in, I believe, Yad Mordechai, which is a kibbutz named in his memory. It was built by survivors of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. And that's been translated into English. Um, and one of the things I did to prepare myself for the army was to read this diary. It's a powerful diary. And there's one scene in the diary, which is the day that the Warsaw Ghetto, after all the planning and all the debates, finally starts. Right? Stroop was going to give Hitler a birthday present, and he sends... Uh, you know, 300 SS to go in, they're going to clean out the ghetto. This is it. This is the final action. It's the summer of 1943, uh, sorry, April of 1943. There's 60,000 Jews left in the ghetto. 400 plus thousand of them have been cleared out and murdered. Finally, the Jews get it together and realize it's time to fight. So the Nazis come in, and the Jews, they have 17 pistols among them, because nobody will give them anything. Right? The Allies won't even fly a plane over the ghetto to give them a little chizuk. They have homemade Maltev cocktails and they take on this, this mighty SS unit and they kill and they maim and they send them running. And Mordechai and Alevich, right, the Nazis were caught completely off guard. They had no clue the Jews would fight back. Because for 2,000 years, we were in exile. Who fights? bend like the weed in the storm and fight another day and live another day. And he writes in his diary an amazing line. He says, they scream, they bleed, they even die, these ubermenschen, these supermen. He was amazed. You could actually kill Germans. Now I remember reading this, I'm like, well yeah, 
you shoot a gun at somebody, he's going to die. But they were so, they were so <coughs> propagandized to the Nazi Ubermensch, to the fact that they're vermin, they're Jews, that it blew his mind that you could kill a Nazi. Now that's, that's 10 years of propaganda. The Jewish people were in Egypt for 200 years. 600 chariots show up at Yamsuf. Right? And they're terrified. Right? They're terrified. And the Ibn Ezra points out, why are they terrified? 600 chariots? For 600,000 men who are of army age. I'm not even talking about millions of people. What is that? One chariot for a thousand people? But they couldn't, they couldn't imagine it. They couldn't imagine you could kill an Egyptian. There were 50 SS at the Umstag Platz in the Warsaw Ghetto in the summer of 1942. And they rounded up 6,000 Jews. Now think about that. 50 SS for 6,000 Jews. They didn't even have enough bullets. It just didn't occur to them to fight. They were in such a different mind space. We have to change the way we look at the world. Egypt has to see, we spoke about this last week, that, that Yad Hashem is Yad Hashem, but the Jewish people have to see that as well. And that's this process. First, get out of Egypt. Then, realize that Hashem runs the world. That's why this parsha starts with Bo. Because the theme of this parsha is, we have to change the way we look at the world. Hashem runs the world. Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is everywhere. Come to Paro, I'm here too. I run you and I run Paro. It's all, it's all Hashem's game to get us to realize what the world is supposed to be. We are living through such a time. We are living in a time, a watershed event in Jewish history, and, and Hashem is telling us that we need to change the way we look at things. What we do with that, and where we go with that, well, that's a good question. So that's a little food for thought, and Parshat Bo.